0: of the Success Story Podcast. All right, thanks again for joining me. I'm sitting down with Michael Blanche who is the co-founder of Surfside, a customer acquisition platform that empowers clients by leveraging data from existing customers to not only retain, but acquire a new customer base. Uh, prior to finding uh, Surfside, Michael served as CTO at Saito. Uh, he had several executive and lead roles including head of product at Momentum Cloud uh, and co-founder and head of product at operations at ComSite Services. Uh, He began his career with Yaka Media Services uh, that he founded straight at a university. Uh, He gained his global perspectives from working with companies ranging from startups to corporate and publicly listed companies um, and from his time traveling the world and obviously going through all these roles between 2012, 2013. It's been a long time uh, since then. So, you know, I appreciate uh, this I just pulled this off your LinkedIn, but I really want to understand your career, what led you, you know, you serial entrepreneur, a lot of different types of roles, different types of customers, different types of companies. Um, walk me through, you know, first of all, thank you for coming on. I appreciate <laughs> it. But, uh, but yeah, walk me through your career, your origin story, your past, uh, what's led you to Surfside, why Surfside, why do you, why are you doing what you do now and all that, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, so first, thanks for having me on. I I really think you've built a great foundation here and a great platform. So I appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. Uh, So for me, I I grew up, you know, about an hour outside of Sydney, back in Australia, um, small sort of blue collar town. Um, my, my parents and my family were immigrants to Australia as everyone is. Uh, but really focused on building a family-owned and operated construction business. Uh, so my grandfather initially ran that, and then my father later on took that over. And what that taught me was uh, the value of a good day's work and, and that real hard work ethic. You know, I, I witnessed my, my parents, my family work incredibly hard um, for a long period of time, many years. Uh, and my, both my parents had me when they were very young. So, you know, we, we grew up and we didn't have a, a huge amount of money. But one thing was that they always had a, a very solid work ethic and um, that commitment to a larger goal. And, you know, through that, I, I learned a couple of real tenets from my, from my family, which was the, the, that value in a good work ethic coming in, being committed to a larger goal, and then being able to recognize that goal. And I think uh, that was something that I, I took through all of my companies. And even when uh, I first started working, you know, it was always have a job, always be employed and, and working towards something. So I went to school. I did a, a commerce degree at the University of Wollongong, which is, you know, a, a local university. And it was fortunate that right around the time that we were graduating, I, I took a job with Apple, and what I was doing for Apple was largely their educational sales and was selling into my local university. So it was great. It was a part-time job while I was rounding out a business degree. You know, wasn't necessarily the best student, liked the, the social aspect of university more <laughs> so than anything else. Um, but it was always working and always connecting. So what the, uh, the job at the Apple store afforded me was essentially a a dialogue with a number of professors and academic leaders at at my university. And one of them was the head of the computer science faculty, this guy by the name of Peter Eklund. And what happened was we essentially started building a relationship, you know, um, just based on me being interested in what he was up to. You know, he had a, a lot of his early works around this idea of a digital ecosystem which is thinking of digital technologies in a way that is more akin to biology, right, in a living and breathing ecosystem. So how can we create these, you know, binary machines and turn them into more human experiences? Uh, so from that, we actually uh, connected with uh, another gentleman that I met through the Apple store, right, this, this hub. And he ran a, a telecommunications business. So what we did was we formed a partnership and we built some software that allowed us to measure and understand all of the, the safety risks associated with the telecommunication industry. And this was a really good opportunity for me because I, I thought like it was a, somewhere where we, we saw a clear opportunity and there was true value in, in the solution. Um, Uh, So we built a software platform that essentially managed and mitigated all of the risk and concerns around gaining access to a telecommunication site. Um, We would do things as that platform evolved and we started tying in multiple pieces of technology. We would make it adaptive so that based on weather conditions by hitting, let's say, a weather services API, we could then say, no, you're not permitted to access this site because there's a pending safety concern. know, we would hit credential databases to ensure that at that time you were actually certified to enter the site. And we took this sort of approach. Um, The thing that I I really got out of it, though, was this, um, what's called like a a spatial aspect of the data set. You know, each telecommunication tower was in a real-world location anchored by a lap long. Um, And that was the start of me getting interested in sort of location intelligence. That company was great. We ran it for a while um, and then ended up sort of offloading it to uh, a large-scale telecommunications provider back in Australia. Uh, And I thought, hey, this is great, you know, a couple of years out of university, I've made it. Let's go travel. Um, So I I went and traveled through sort of Southeast Asia and spent a bit of time in India. I've got a, a long-term girlfriend who's now my fiance who resided in America. So we came over here for the first time uh, and really just tried to enjoy the world and, and broaden my experiences. Uh, that was great. Did that for a couple of years and then realized, hey, you know, I've got to come back to the real world because we've got to get back to work. Uh, so with that, that's when I, I started working with Momentum. And what Momentum was, was a a way for us to digitize every aspect of the student learning experience. <laughs> so essentially with Comside and our first business, the, the idea was let's create almost like a CMS for occupational work and safety, using the cloud to, to underwrite it. Um, with Momentum, it was not dissimilar, but now we're pointing that capability at the education industry. So the data points I want to collect are you know, student attendance, behavioural issues, you know, um, absentee rates when a certain piece of learning was taught, so that then you can associate that back to learning outcomes or create personalised learning plans. Um, And that was a really good business, you know, um, something that I slept very well with at night. Um, Just, you know, the the objective of that and where you want to get to. You want to make every student's life better. Um, And I love that. So, we put that through a small accelerator in Australia um, called MuraD, which is backed by the largest telco there, Telstra. Um, And it was as we were just coming out of that, that we announced a raise. And the same day that we did that, there was a company here in New York called Schoology that announced a a raise that was several orders of magnitude larger. You know, we'd done a couple of million dollars and they had done, I think it was like 45 or something to that effect. And the problem for me was like, no matter how hungry or driven I am, the things that they can just do better based on the capital they have access to. You know, how can I compete with say $2 million when they've got this war chest to apply to the problem in such a bigger market. And that was really the inflection point for me when I decided, all right, we have to move away from Australia and come and chase opportunities in the larger market. Mm-hmm. So that led me to, to moving over to the United States. Um, and the thing that was really good with that was that uh, I moved over and it was the, the easiest transition in the world because of the people that I'd met along the way. So I always joke that like I moved halfway across the world and I didn't even have to show a resume or anything like that. You know, there was no notion of a job hunt because of people that I had met during university and the relationships I'd made. Um, so that there I think is, is one of my biggest kind of tenets for anyone is make sure you go and you just continue to invest in building out that network and those relationships and be genuine in those. Mm -hmm. Uh, because then it it will open up and pay dividends in the future. So that led to me moving over to New York, um, that was about 2015, and we build a, what's called a a DSP. So this was in the advertising space. It was something completely new to me. Uh, I hadn't hadn't thought of it too much. But once I I knew that I was going to be moving over here to tackle this problem, I really started looking into it and what were the main sort of drivers for it. And from an engineering standpoint, uh, working in, like, the advertising space offers uh, a number of challenges which are really, really interesting in that you have billions of events of data coming through. Okay, so that's sort of one large-scale engineering problem. But where that compounds is that you also have to be able to make near real-time decisions on that. So I need to be able to say, all right, every opportunity that's coming through, do I want to bid? Do I want to place an ad? How much is that? Am I prepared to pay for that? Who do I believe that individual is? Uh, so from an engineering standpoint, that problem started to fascinate me. Uh, and that's why we build out this demand side platform. Now, the other opportunity that we saw there, and this goes back to kind of my my first position was this location story. Because what had happened is, is that the smartphone had risen to prominence, and now obviously everyone has one all the time. But it was the first truly personal device. So because it went everywhere with you... It gave us a new lens into the consumer, Um, and that was really the opportunity that we sought to build a a platform for. Now, (laughs) uh, kind of high level, that that journey was essentially, you know, we came, founded the company, ended up being acquired by a a public company, and then listed onto the NASDAQ, and we ran that company for several years, you know, uh, micro-cap stock, but great experience and great exposure. Um, We then moved beyond that with Surfside, me and my co-founder, John Lowen, uh, left CEDO and started Surfside with the hypothesis that there was something more that we could do there. Um, Rather than just think of location data and a location-based narrative, we wanted to incorporate all of the different touch points of consumer data. Uh, So that's really what we're doing at Surfside today
0: the very i love i love this story um and now when you look at what surfside is it makes a lot of sense because every single every single um influence in your life has led you to understand a, a separate facet of the ability to use data whether or not it's in again ecosystem location or just insights and and, and consuming and understanding masses of amounts of data to, to, like to that they like drive all these consumer decisions um so what are you trying to accomplish with Surfside that hasn't been done or perhaps hasn't been done well in terms of uh, understanding how consumers buy, how influencing how consumers buy, helping businesses understand that, those data points?
1: Yeah, um, so I, I think what we see the opportunity with, with Surfside is that you know people, companies exist today that will ship data from A to B you know, or do basic transformations. Essentially, that's like the plumbing of your data infrastructure for an organization. And that's critical. Everyone needs that. But with Surfside, what we're really trying to do is to provide that infrastructure to make it seamless, focused on your customer touch points. So as a brand, as a retailer, you have these different disparate platforms that are all collecting customer-related information, whether it be your retail point of sale system, your online website, but then you're also um, running paid media and advertising, and that's having an experience with the consumer as well. So that information, while it's not as, you know, specific as some of your point of sale data or your CRM data, is still very valuable. And what we're able to do is to collect all of these different channels of data and bring it in and consolidate it into one view of the consumer so that you can then understand that this person that received a Facebook ad then came and visited my site, they abandoned their cart. we saw them come back three days later on their desktop computer, and then they purchased X, Y, and Z. And being able to stitch together that narrative of the customer um, is something which we're seeing a, a huge opportunity for and a huge need for in the space. And then if you couple that with a proprietary data set or a, essentially like a contextual lens of the consumer, it allows you to, to really improve your outcomes as a brand or a marketer because now you're, you're coming from a more informed decision about all of your strategies and your, your marketing and advertising uh, initiatives
0: it makes a lot of sense i'm i'm looking on the website and and now that that adds a layer that a lot of marketers don't have access to so if you go through there's five points listed on your website digital events material world advertising and media point of sale and offline so i would say that most marketers can capture digital events quite easily Um, advertising and media that's that's always measured even point of sale can be measured to some extent um, but the things that I never see measured are are material or offline. And I think that that's adding a layer that I don't think I've ever seen as a marketer or people some, you know somebody who's worked with other marketers. Uh, I've never seen that ability to capture that effectively. Um, you see some simple tools, uh, you know, like when you walk into a store, you you can measure how many people walk into a store and you compare and contrast that to how many. Um, sales there are for that day, but that's a very rudimentary basic uh, metric, right? It's not, it's not that uh, it's, anyway. It's,
1: and it's actually funny that you mentioned that because at CEDO, that was kind of one of the, the real differentiators that we went to market with initially. <laughs> so back in 2015, we, we wrote a, an attribution technology called verified walk-in. And because we had that understanding of the location data coming from cell phones, Uh, we were able to associate media exposure to that. Now, the whole reason we invented uh, Verified Walking as a solution was, you know, it's a proxy metric. A brand or a marketer, as you alluded to before, really wants to understand, like, their return on ad spend, so explicit transaction level data. But in the mainstream retail markets, that's incredibly difficult, especially understanding, like, the marketing, advertising landscape, quite often uh, a brand will engage an agency to work as a middleman. So now you're arm's length from being able to actually access any transaction level data. So for us being able to show the effectiveness of driving someone into a retail location was a proxy for performance. Mm -hmm. With Surfside we saw an opportunity where we could kind of solve that limitation by entering one, a a narrow vertical to start, and we selected the cannabis industry, and I can go into that one in a minute uh, as to why. But two, uh, e-commerce, because the hypothesis was that there's gonna be a massive influx of uh, drive for e-commerce, and this was obviously pre-COVID, so no one saw this coming. But it, it's fortunately been true where well, we are seeing a huge migration of, of brands to having to adapt to predominantly e-commerce or focus, pick-up, in-store, buy-online type approaches uh, in order to, to continue growing their business. So um, the, the whole reason that we build it to do closed-loop measurement is that that was what we as marketers saw as a real opportunity. But like, if we can take the guesswork out of this and we can prove measurable results, then there should be no reason why we can't continue to grow the business. So we wanted to kind of take that guesswork out of it. Um, and that, that really sort of touches on why we saw the, the cannabis space as our first vertical. One, it's highly regulated, so there was a massive opportunity there for us. Uh, We we had a look at the landscape and went out to the largest cannabis convention called MJBizCon and had a bit of a look around and and just said, hey, look, the the nascent technologies here are 10 years behind where we think they should be. We know that we can do it better given our experience, Um, so let's build a solution for it. But prior to that, one of our former board members actually uh, had a, a SPAC and was making acquisitions of a, a number of dispensary groups. And the first problem that he came to us with, and this was kind of as a as a consultant initiative, was, I've just acquired all these different dispensaries, and they're all on different point of sale systems. How am I, gonna get, how am I going to get my finances in check? Mm-hmm. So we did was we came in and we created a, a data layer, right? Data lake, whatever you want to call it, but essentially a, a normalized view of all of his different point of sale systems aggregated into a standardized structure. And through doing that, we went through and integrated with the top you know, half dozen point of sale systems in the space. And when we then said, "All right," We, we've finished this project, we've already done this great work, how can we apply it to
0: our space? costs are ridiculous lately find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team it's a no-brainer and that's what NetSuite offers over 37,000 companies have figured this out already you have to join them right now through to April 15th NetSuite's got an incredible flexible financing plan Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash clary. That's netsuite.com slash clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Based on what we know. And that
1: was really where we, we founded Surfside based on that capability and then, and then went after the market.
0: And, and can you help me understand, for somebody who's listening to this who is, um, who is used to traditional marketing uh, metrics and collection of different data points, how do you and what do you collect that is offline and material um, outside of like, you know, we, point of sale, digital events, um, traditional CPM, click throughs, all that stuff. So what's the, what's the uh, physical, physical component, offline component that you can collect and how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So the, the offline component is really driven by us working with, you know, your mobile phone, okay. understanding. You know, we'll have a, an SDK that gets integrated uh, into publishers and we'll partner with partners that sell this type of data. Uh, but essentially, it's all high quality location data that is user opted in, so all privacy compliant. And what it is, is just timestamp and roll that long. So raw GPS coordinates. But then what we'll do is run a, a number of different data pipelines that allow us to contextualize that data. So, rather than saying you're at X Y Z lat long, you know, we can understand that you're at Starbucks on you know Broadway and, and West forth or something to that effect. Um, and that there allows us to, to form attributes or or profiles about the consumer and their movement and behavioural patterns. So we can essentially tag you with metadata that says you know you're a a frequent gym-goer. Uh, <laughs> are you active in a park or hiking trails? So therefore, these become attributes that, that get associated with you as a user. Um, now, in addition to that, we're able to, because we have a, a, an anchoring data point, which we refer to as a surf site ID, that corresponds to a, a cookie ID, maybe across you know different advertising or marketing platforms the advertising identifier, for mobile advertising, your hashed email address, uh, data points such as this, right, which give us that persistence in how we can leverage the data. So then we're able to join together visitation patterns with digital browsing exposure. You know, the type of sites you're visiting, content you're consuming. Uh, when we focus on a specific vertical, it becomes, your e-commerce behaviours, you know, what you're looking at, items you add to cart, sites that you have abandoned a checkouts from, everything like that. Um, and it's really the convergence of these data sets into one 360 degree customer profile and then powering that with the ability to model and scale that audience out that allows us to go and acquire new customers for our, our partner's
0: business. So just it's 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 lookalike, but the the input is just exponentially larger, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean the the notion of a lookalike is is flawed for most businesses because what they'll do is you'll take say a, a bid request that comes through the advertising ecosystem and then use those as features to train a, a lookalike model, whether it's regression or, or nearest neighbors type model. But what happens is is that you're looking at the creative size you know, the creative ID, the publisher, these types of attributes. We essentially, we don't throw those away, but they're weighted far less valuable to the actual user level attributes that we see. So we build and maintain a, a really large key value data store that allows us to hit with a user ID, all right, that side ID, and immediately resolve back their profile. Now, that profile will have household income, live stage, demographic data. And for us, they become the features that we train our acquisition models from and those look alike. So it look alike, yes, but it's more so like they have the same consumer competition, you know, for, for then train that audience out of.
0: Now walk me through um this this all sounds great at a high level, but walk me through a use case, walk me through perhaps one of your customers that's used this and what results do they see in contrast to uh, a very traditional um, set of data points and, and measuring and optimization?
1: Yeah, definitely. So say we were to engage with uh, you know, what, what in the cannabis industry would be referred to as a multi-state operator. So they have multiple brands, multiple production supply chains in multiple states. So with that, they might have three different groups of dispensaries or dispensary brands that they're working with, depending on the state of the market, and they may be connected to different point of sale and e-commerce systems. So we would engage at an enterprise level with them, and we would come in and, using our, our software platform, we would configure the different data collection points. So that would be tying into their CRM system, their point-of-sale system, their e-commerce system, and their digital site. And then once we have that all flowing in, we're able to start understanding what that audience looks like. Okay? So we can start seeing transaction volume sizes, stuff like that on the retail level. But then also we start looking at the digital events, the content they're consuming, we can track that as well and profile that audience. So that's kind of the the main hub. And then, of course, there's the location data as well, where we can start physically monitoring people that are visiting their dispensary locations or their competitive locations as well. So now that we've got all of this data coming in, what we're able to do is to then essentially intersect those different sources of data. So you could look at people that have, say, walked into one of your retail locations and then have also transacted online or people that have purchased uh, a specific SKU or product category across any of your channels, rather than you having to go and pull that from your point of sale system, pull a separate report. But then once we've got that, we can use that as essentially a training audience to then extrapolate out and identify more people that you know have a high propensity to, to purchase or transact in a similar fashion. So that there, that that capability, is really critical to the strategies that we execute for our clients, because we'll come in and we'll we'll create these audiences and, and training data sets that are then proven to perform in the media yeah. side. And because we have all of the data points connected, we're then able to explicitly measure that coming back in to the system. So that allows us to show the the performance lift or improvement. Uh, so.
0: But I want you to. I want you to sell yourself too. I want you to. I want you to tell me some of the the numbers that you see when you actually implement. Like, what's the what's the uptick on? Pick a metric. Top line revenue. Yeah, I mean uh, conversions. All these.
1: So you say like performance? Traditionally, someone would give you a. We can give this type of CTR, like a click through mm-hmm. rate, okay. and that's just a rubbish metric because really it it doesn't matter for you as a brand when you're compared about driving sales. Um, so that's how, how we speak now is let's talk about return on ad spend, that yeah. authority outcome based metric. And what we're seeing in, in the cannabis vertical, where we have our largest proprietary data set is that we're seeing about 4.5 to five times return on ad spend. That's uh, good. Production. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's really good. You know, so it's, yeah. uh, we're, we're quite happy with the the success we're seeing out of the platform. When John and I started building this, it was, you know, it was really an idea. Um, we thought we could do it better. And now to see, you know, in a relatively short period of time, Surfside's only been around for two years, uh, but we are being able to continue winning business based purely on that performance metric and the fact that we can measure a data point that, that no one else can.
0: Very impressive. Um, I, have, I have some questions. Um, less about surfside and just more about you, um, serial entrepreneur and and an incredible career history and profile. So I want to, I want to ask those, but before I switch off from surfside on what you're doing now, is there anything that I didn't ask about surfside, what, how the process works, how the technology works that you wanted to cover? Um, the floor is yours. If you wanted to bring up anything else.
1: No, look, I, I think, um. Know that those that listen to the, the podcast and are interested, definitely jump on our website, surfsite.io, and, and you'll be able to see a little bit more about what we're doing. Uh, but from the, from a platform standpoint, we're incredibly excited for the fourth quarter of this year. We've got some great location-based intelligence insights that we'll be rolling out as a complete SaaS offering, mm-hmm. uh, as well as making our, our audience measurement capabilities widely available. So yeah, definitely Very interesting. getting that out.
0: Now, these are, these are more questions for yourself as, as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. Um, in terms of where you want Surfside to go, do you, where do you, you wanna see the company go in five years? Do you wanna go into different markets, different industries, just grow, expand, exit? What's, what's your vision?
1: Yeah, it's, um, we're, we're proving it out in a highly regulated vertical right now because it lends itself to the strengths of the platform. Right, um, but everything that we do with Surfside is, you know, entirely scalable across adjacent industries. So, for now, we're building out this proprietary asset in the cannabis space, and that's where all of our direct uh, sales efforts are. But at the same time, we have you know a number of partnerships in other verticals that we're starting to open up to. Uh, for us, it's really about that the platform itself. Is industry agnostic. But in order for the platform to really run right, you need to inject it with specific industry-specific data sets. Right? So for instance, we'll open up into the automotive vertical in the near future. In order for us to do that, I don't want to be getting point-of-sale system from dispensaries. I need to be getting, you know, lease agreements, I need to be seeing transactions based on you know, individual dealerships and categorizing that type of information. So that's definitely something that we have there uh, ready to go. Other, other verticals that we'll expand into in the near future are also, you know, obviously direct-to-consumer, huge today, um, and it's incredibly easy for us to measure that because we already have all of the integrations with e-commerce systems um, from our historic work. So there, and then, um, you know, likely into another highly regulated industry such as healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, And a lot of that is just based on our ability to, you know, in, ensure that we adhere to all of the, the privacy and, and user um, regulatory re- requirements uh, of an industry, right? But then also because we understand who that user is explicitly, it allows us to be far more brand safe uh, and reduce risks for our clients um, by ensuring that you know we're not bombarding people with sensitive messaging we're not sending too many messages or communications to them and you know really being aware of that and and that works across channels so we're not just talking about hey you're sending targeted email you're sending sms messages to these people but it, it allows us to stitch together that full user journey
0: now, one question I have for you, um, you're so heavily involved in, in very disruptive marketing. I, th- I think that we can say that this is very much on the, on the leading edge or bleeding edge of what marketing technology is today. So what, what are you curious about or what are you researching in the world of marketing uh, technology and consumer trends that you think will be something that we'll see in five years or 10 years from now?
1: Yeah, um, it, it works a couple of different ways. In terms of, like, back of house actually powering the industry, uh, there's huge changes to the way that uh, identification can be made digitally. Um, and these are all really positive initiatives. So in Europe, you saw something called GDPR come out. And right? uh, in California, we have, have something similar called CCPA. But essentially starting to to clip the wings of digital companies being able to you know, identify users across platforms and track with cookies. And there's a big change in the way that that's being handled both by Google and Apple um, that I think is incredibly interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, so that's one, one side. But then more for consumers and consumer-facing applications, um, very, very bullish on augmented reality as opposed to virtual reality. Uh, And the push to sort of augmented reality in shopping and commerce, Uh, I think that will be huge. Other than that, we see, you know, we expect to see a a continued migration to e-commerce and the online experience. Uh, I think it will become more how you can put new creative and immersive ad units in front of
0: consumers. Very, very, very interesting. Um, Now, as an entrepreneur, how do you, uh, going through all these different industries, yet still underlined with with data-driven technologies, how do you stay on top of new trends, emerging trends? Where do you go to learn, yourself?
1: Yeah, um, a lot of content online. um, And I, I say that. You know, I'll ride into the office and listen to one podcast on the way in, one podcast on the way back while I'm working at night, same thing, just finding different ways to continue to consume. Um, I also, you know, have a tendency to continue to read a a lot of articles from academia um, to stay right at the forefront of it. Um, In the marketing and advertising space, there's, some incredible people out of Stanford, such as Michael Kuczynski, um, you know, that, that are just right on the bleeding edge of how to think about these problems. And it, not just from a technology standpoint, but all from, also from a, a psychological and cultural standpoint in understanding the impact that these technologies will have. Uh, and then, me, also, I, I kind of am uh, very, very interested and naturally curious about the area that I work in as well. So I think because of that, it, if you're passionate and you're hungry and inquisitive about a, a body of knowledge, um, learning it and becoming an expert in it isn't a, a chore. You know? Here, it's I so said, we're not necessarily coming to work. We all care about where we're going with the business now. You know, we work in marketing and advertising, so take that with a grain of salt. But, We're passionate about the capability and what we can do with it in the future. You know, our, our idea is that if we understand the consumer better, we can create more complementary advertising experiences for you rather than just, you know, exploit the fact that we have information about you as a user. No one wants that, but I definitely envision a future where, you know, you can cut the middleman out of that, directly incentivize the consumer to share their information. And because of that, receive a a more personalized or tailored experience with their ads.
0: What would be advice that you would give somebody who would like to start their own business?
1: Uh, Don't do it on your own. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's good advice. uh, (laughs) So um, I'm really fortunate that I have a Um, co-founder. You have many guests that are, you know, self-made entrepreneurs that have gone out and done it on their own, and uh, I have the utmost respect for anyone that can. Uh, for me, there's just not enough hours in the day, we're already working around the clock as it is. Uh, but that ability, and, and I mean that in that it becomes a counterbalance. You can't be on all the time, and through having that, it, it really gives us the ability to switch off the business to continue moving forward. Right. Um, so I, I, appreciate that. Um, the other thing would just be hungry be inquisitive. Um, for me, I, I remember like flying over to New York and I knew nothing about the advertising space yet. I was moving over here to build you know, what became one of the largest advertising platforms. So, you know, um, being up for the challenge, being hungry, but that, that's it. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, and almost in line with that same question, but I'm curious if it's a different answer. What is a lesson that you would tell your younger self?
1: It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Uh, I, I, um, I remember losing sleep as, as a kid, um, just thinking about you know how, how will I be able to support a family or anything like that, um, and these weird sort of, I, I guess, insecurities, that I didn't even acknowledge at the time, but later on it's like, wow, you know, just respect the journey, meet people, be open, communicate, network um, and everything will be all right.
0: Good advice. Um, and, and the last question, uh, I'm going to get some websites. I think you mentioned one before, but I'm going to get some socials and websites for you. But before I do that, what does success mean to you?
1: Uh, um, for me, so being from Australia and having a lot of my family back in Australia, um, it, it means the ability to go back and forth as, as we need to. You know? um, my fiance, she's from here, work is in New York, it becomes a matter of how you can blend that lifestyle so that we can be with our family and enjoying our time with them. Um, without any limitations we need to be able to travel the world you know a couple of times a year unfortunately um, so that that is definitely my measure of success would be the ability to to live that lifestyle the way i want
0: very good um and then of course most importantly uh where do people connect with you uh go find surfside what are all the links and socials
1: yeah Surfside. Is surfside.io uh, is, is our website. And then uh, on obviously LinkedIn and Twitter, um, we, we don't do Instagram for this type of business. Um, and then myself, you can uh, find on LinkedIn as
0: Michael Blanche That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story.